You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The theme for this afternoon's message is that Jesus Christ always includes his church whom he represents in all that he does and has done to him. That is because the church is in Christ. Now, in order to understand this in Christ, let's have a look at an Old Testament foreshadowing of the church being in Christ, and you will find that in Exodus 28, the verses 15 to 30. Fashion a breastpiece for making decisions, the work of a skilled craftsman. Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long and a span wide, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. In the first row there shall be a ruby, a topaz, and a beryl. In the second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and an emerald. In the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And in the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. For the breastpiece, make braided chains of pure gold like a rope. Make two gold rings for it and fasten them to two corners of the, of the breastpiece. Fasten the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breastpiece and the other ends of the chains to the two settings attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. Make two gold rings and attach them to the other two corners of the breastpiece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Make two more gold rings and attach them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod, close to the seam just above the waistband of the ephod. The rings of the breastpiece are to be tied to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord connecting it to the waistband so that the breastpiece will not swing out from the ephod. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Our text is taken from Mark 1, the verses 9 to 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, 
he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a few weeks ago I came across a rather unsettling quotation about the church. The quotation went like this. The heart of the church is that it is a new community in Christ. That's okay. That didn't unsettle me. So the heart of the church is that it is a new community in Christ. But here comes the unsettling part. If it does not function in the church, namely that it is a new community in Christ, then the church degenerates either into a moralistic fellowship. And think of a fellowship like the Pharisees. A moralistic fellowship. A fellowship that is known for its separation from others because they don't behave morally like like they do. And therefore they also look down on the others. Well, One option is that it degenerates into a moralistic fellowship or an organization where everything revolves around social contacts. Like Facebook. Or you're a member of the 4-H club. Or the Kiwanis. You know, you have everything in common socially with those people. And all you talk about is social things. Hi, how are you? How's it going? Did you watch the hockey game last night? Yeah? How did Lou play? Yeah, he wasn't too good, you know. And You're not talking about the heart. The heart of the church. Namely that the heart of the church is a new community in Christ. So if that doesn't function, the man wrote, you got two options. The church becomes a moralistic fellowship of do-gooders and not do-batters, or a social club, let's say like Facebook. And why do you think I found that so unsettling? Because I thought, imagine if that's true. First of all, for my own local congregation. Imagine if that's true for the church that I pastor. And imagine if it's true for your congregation. And imagine if it's true for many, many churches. Not really characterized by a new community in Christ, but primarily characterized as a moralistic fellowship or a social club. 
Wouldn't that be awful? The Bible clearly tells us that the heart of the church is not a social club. To be sure, there are social dimensions to the church. But we're talking here about the heart of the church. And the Bible also clearly tells us that the church is not characterized primarily as a moralistic fellowship. That's why Jesus clashed with the moralists of his days so frequently. But that the church is characterized as being in Christ. You should trace that through the New Testament sometimes. In Christ. How often that occurs. In Christ. And this is because what the Lord Jesus Christ does, He never does alone for Himself. But He always includes His body, His church, in everything that He does or is done to him. You clearly have an illustration of that in the Old Testament of the high priest. And I asked the secretary to run this off in the bulletin so that you, you could see this. Because this in Christ concept is not always that easy to understand. But here you have it. This is an Old Testament foreshadowing of what it means to be in Christ. There you got the high priest. And here he's got this square on his chest, and it's the breastpiece. And there are four rows of stones in the breastpiece. One stone for each tribe of Israel. In other words, whatever the high priest does or is done to him, he never does alone. Wherever he goes, he carries the people of Israel with him. The Old Testament church was in the high priest, symbolized by that little pouch, as it were, on his chest. And it's the same with Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Now, Jesus Christ doesn't wear an ephod. And Jesus Christ doesn't have this little pouch, you know, on the front with these 12 stones. But the New Testament speaks about the church being in Christ. So we could, in our imagination, as it were, imagine Jesus going around carrying you know, this breastpiece with him in your imagination and having all the members of the church in him because he represents them, just like the Old Testament high priest. And so, whatever he does, he never does alone for himself. Whatever he does, he always does for his body, his church, who's always in him. 
He's always carrying them along, as it were, in whatever he does. Our text of this afternoon, that's also the case in our text. So what does Jesus do in our text? Well, he gets baptized. That means that Jesus goes down under in the water. And Jesus comes up out of the water. But whatever he does, he always does that with his church. They're included in what he does. So, when Jesus goes down, who goes down with him? The whole church goes down with him. Imagine that pouch, okay? It's not there, but just imagine it. The whole church goes down with him. And when he comes up out of the water, who comes up out of the water with Jesus? The whole church. All the members, young and old. And why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus actually getting baptized here? Well, this is the official beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so right at the outset of his ministry, Jesus is publicly taking the penalty of sin for the church, the power of sin, for those taking notes, four Ps, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the pollution of sin, and the partition of sin. He's taking all of that publicly upon himself. And he's going to take it to the cross, which we remembered not so long ago. He's going to take it to the cross. And there he's going to pay the penalty of sin. There he's going to break the power of sin. There he's going to cleanse the church from the pollution of sin. And there he's going to destroy the partition that sin causes, these huge walls between God and his church. And then three days later, he's going to rise from the grave and demonstrate that he has indeed paid the penalty on Good Friday, that he has indeed broken the power of sin on Good Friday, that he has indeed cleansed the church from the pollution of sin on Good Friday, and that he has indeed destroyed the partition of sin on Good Friday. It all happened there. But on Easter Sunday, by rising from the dead, he demonstrates that when he said, it is finished, it was indeed finished. And as I said, just like Jesus was carrying that pouch with him when he went down under the water. When he was hanging on the cross, he had, as it were, that pouch there. He had the church there. And when he came up out of the grave, he came out of the grave, as it were, with this pouch, with those twelve stones, representing the whole church with him. Also, those other people who were being baptized by John. They were included 
in Jesus. All the members of the church in the Old Testament, they were included in Jesus as Jesus went down under and came up. And Jesus died and rose again. And all the members of the New Testament church were included in Jesus. They were in that pouch. It's amazing how many people can get in that pouch. They were included in Jesus as he went down under and came up, died and rose again. Isn't that why we sing together in hymn 52? We sing together that the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is His new creation. She came up out of the water with Jesus by water and the Word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride. And with His blood, with His blood He bought her and for her life He died. Church is based on the sacrifice and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now our baptism, brothers and sisters, our baptism is a sign and seal of that fact. This afternoon I baptized Aliana and Lucy into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One name, three persons. And so I also baptized Aliana and Lucy into the name of the Son. What, what does that mean? That these little girls were baptized into the name of Jesus, into the name of the Son. Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. Sometimes we say, it's like, well, I baptize you in the name, not into, but in. It's like, well, God can't be here, so I'm God's representative. And so I'm doing this on behalf of God. And so this afternoon, and if you use the word in instead of into, then I'm acting on behalf of God here this afternoon. That, that's not what it means. It means, it says into And the same preposition is used for Jesus when he was baptized in the Jordan. You could say into the Jordan. He entered into the Jordan. And so being baptized into the name of Jesus, and the name stands for the person, these two little girls were baptized into Jesus. They entered into his fellowship as it were, officially. I say officially, because when did it happen before? It happened at Jesus' baptism before. When Jesus went down, Aliana went down, and Lucy went down. And when Jesus came up, Aliana came up, and Lucy came up. But now... What happened more than 2,000 years ago is officially happening here. These girls have been born now, and they've been presented to baptism, and they are now officially grafted into Jesus. They were already in this pouch, so to speak. They were already there. 
but now officially they're grafted into that pouch. Baptism is a sign and seal of that fact. But now I have another disturbing quotation. It's also on uh, on this little sheet. You look at the bottom. It's a quotation from John Calvin. And John Calvin says, First we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from him, All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the Father, he has to become ours and dwell within us. And then I'm skipping a bit. For as I have said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. Jesus was baptized for Aliana and Lucy. Jesus died and rose again for Aliana and Lucy and for you and for me. The preposition is for. He did this for us because we're part of the body. Think corporately. Think body language. But just imagine. Just imagine if what Jesus did for us does not happen in us. Then what he did for us is useless and in vain. And how might that happen? How might it happen that what Jesus has done for the church or all the members of the church, becomes useless and in vain for some of the members of the church because it doesn't happen in them. Well, that could happen through blatant unbelief. It happens. People leave. And they're not leaving for another church. They leave because they don't believe in God anymore. And Jesus did this for them. Just think about that. He died for them, and he arose for them, and they never take ownership of it through faith. They become blatant unbelievers. So whatever Jesus did for them becomes useless and in vain. It's just calm. But how else can it happen? Well, it can also happen through more refined forms of unbelief. By viewing the church as a social club. And I mean that. By viewing the church primarily as a social club. That all you ever talk about is, Hi, how are you? How's it going? Made lots of money last week. Aren't the Canucks doing well? Are they not doing well? You hardly ever talk about the heart of the church. It's a new community in Christ. That Jesus died for the church and rose for the church. It can also happen 
through viewing the church as a moralistic fellowship. You don't really need Jesus. You know, the moralists, they don't need Jesus because they can do it themselves. At least they imagine they can do it themselves. And here Jesus did it for them. And they don't need Jesus. What He did for them doesn't happen in them. If you want to hear the Bible about that when you go home this afternoon, read the first ten verses of Hebrews 6 and the last part of Hebrews 10. And you have a rather terrifying description of things that Jesus has done for the church, but it doesn't happen in members of the church. And now how can you prevent this from happening? You can prevent this from happening by becoming one with Jesus. I was reminded of that when I watched the highlights of the wedding of uh, Prince William and Kate. And the Bishop of London, who delivered the homily, the message, you notice that? Did you watch the highlights for the wedding? And notice how he quoted from Ephesians 5. He compared a human marriage to the marriage of Christ and the church. And you know what it says in Ephesians 5? A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul says, Behold, this is a great mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. You know what he's saying. The marriage of husband and wife is a little parable. A little parable of the marriage of Christ and the church. And this becoming one flesh is not just physically one flesh. It's, it's emotionally one flesh. It's spiritually one flesh, so to speak. It's being on the same page. It's being of one mind. Good marriages are like that. Of being of one mind. That's all contained in the one flesh. It's the same with the church and Jesus. You get the mind of Jesus. You begin to think like Jesus. You begin to have the desires of Jesus. You begin to have the affections of the Lord Jesus Christ. You become one flesh with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. And when that happens, brothers and sisters, what Jesus has done for the church, what He's done for you, He begins to do in you, miraculously. That's why before we sang the creed, I read from 1 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. This is a mystery. But it is true. And... My dear baptismal couples, Ian and Jolene, and Burke and Marianne, if you want to prevent this from happening to your children, that what Jesus has done for them, he does not do in them, then work at your marriage. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying work at your marriage, right? Let your marriage be a little parable of the marriage of Christ and the church. And little Aliana and your three children, they will see something. 
they'll see that father and mother are of one mind. They're on the same page. And you can tell them the secret. You can say, that's a little picture of Christ in the church. And you know what, Aliana? You know what, Lucy? Jesus did a lot for you. And Jesus' baptism shows, or your baptism on Sunday, May the 1st, was a sign and seal of that fact. If you want what Jesus has done for you to happen in you, you need to become one flesh with Jesus. You need to become a little bit like Daddy and Mummy. One mind, one page, one desire. Let's move on to the second thing that happens to Jesus because our time is moving fast. The second thing that uh, happens, it happens to Jesus, is that the Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Described beautifully, Jesus is ascending out of the water, and the dove descends from heaven upon Jesus. And remember, whatever Jesus does, he never does for himself. He always does for his church. So as Jesus is coming out of the water, and as Jesus is receiving the Spirit in the form of a dove, who else is receiving that Spirit? It's not just Jesus. It's everybody who's in the pouch. It's for his body, for his church. His church is receiving the Holy Spirit. And where have you seen the Holy Spirit and water, that connection before? In Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2, the earth was formless and the earth was empty. It was a watery mass and an empty watery mass. And then we read that the Spirit was hovering over the water. What's the Spirit doing there, hovering over the water? Well, it was formless. So, the Spirit is going to bring form into the formlessness. And it was empty. So, the Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. He's going to bring fullness into the emptiness. And He does that in creation. He still does that today. When you send forth your spirit, says the psalmist in Psalm 104, you renew the face of the earth. And where else have you seen the connection of a spirit and a dove? That's right, with Noah and the ark. After the waters were receding. And Noah sends out a dove a number of different times. And on one of the times, the dove comes back and he has a little branch in his mouth. And so Noah knows that the floodwaters are indeed receding. The Holy Spirit is going to make a new beginning with God's creation. Can you imagine all the people that died in the flood? Death is going to make way for life. And destruction is going to make way for restoration. And this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Take Genesis 1, 
and Genesis 8 together is hovering over the face of the deep and this dove coming back with a branch in its mouth. Take these two things together and the Holy Spirit is going to renew. He's going to bring renewal to life. He's going to totally cleanse the church of its sin. He's going to totally break down the remaining partitions of sin. He's going to totally destroy the remaining power of sin. And how is the Holy Spirit going to be doing that? Well, notice what happens when the dove comes. It says the heavens, they tore. The same word used when the veil of the temple tore in two. Temple sixty, the veil sixty feet high and thirty feet wide and a foot thick. Can you imagine that? I could take off my shoe and I could hold it up like that and say, that's how thick the veil was. And that veil tore in two. And there is, as it were, an invisible veil separating heaven and earth. The eternal realm where the angels are and so forth, and the temporal realm. There is, as it were, an invisible veil. And this invisible veil, as it were, tore in two like that. And through the opening descended a dove upon Jesus' head. You know what that symbolizes? The Holy Spirit is going to bring the life of heaven to earth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The life of heaven. And where is He going to bring it? He's going to bring it to Jesus. Jesus is the life of heaven on earth. But whatever is done to Jesus is never done to Him alone. Right? Remember the pouch? The church is in Jesus. So, who else receives the life of heaven? Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the church does. The church is a foretaste of the life of heaven. Just imagine that. And our baptism, our baptism is a sign and seal of that. These two little girls were baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit. They were officially They entered into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I didn't just stand there on behalf of the Holy Spirit, because he couldn't be here, so to speak, visibly in the form of the dove. No, it's into the Holy Spirit. They officially entered into the working sphere of the Holy Spirit. And that is Jesus as the head of the church. And the church. This is the workshop of the Holy Spirit. This is the foretaste of the life of heaven. And these two little girls were officially grafted into this fellowship of the Holy Spirit this afternoon. Officially. Because when did it happen before? It happened before when the Spirit descended in the form of a dove on Jesus' head. Then already, the Holy Spirit also descended upon the fellowship 
of which Aliana and Lucy would in time become a member. And now some 2,000 years later, when these children are born and are presented for baptism, they are now officially incorporated into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But now Calvin's unsettling quotation. This is what happened for them. What if it doesn't happen in them? How might it not happen in them? Well, if we view the church as a moralistic fellowship, you don't need the Holy Spirit if you're a moralist. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You don't need God. You can do it yourself. And you can look down on other people who don't do it as good as you do. See? Then it doesn't happen in you what happened for you. It can also happen if you view the church primarily as a social fellowship, a Facebook club. All you talk about are all the social things. And you have no personal experience of the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't really need it because being church primarily is being Facebook. Third thing, and I come to my conclusion. It's the third thing that happened at Jesus' baptism. The voice of the Father was heard. This is my beloved Son. Don't skate over that beloved. That's the only Son He has. From all eternity, there is this love relationship between the Father and the Son. And this is the Son. And that love relationship between the Father and the Son is exercised through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is my only Son. It all revolves around Him in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And here He is. God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Here He is. And this is the Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, why would the Father say that? That He is so pleased in His only begotten Son. You know why He says that? Because He is so incredibly displeased with us. He's so incredibly disappointed in you and me. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, God wanted a perfect human son and a perfect human daughter. And he didn't get it. In fact, God always wanted a big family of sons and daughters who would wholeheartedly love him and wholeheartedly love their neighbor. And he didn't get it. He didn't get it with Adam and Eve, and he didn't get it with Israel. And now he's going to get it with Jesus. Here's Jesus standing as the second Adam. Here Jesus is standing as Israel in person. The new Israel. 
And the father saw Jesus go down under in the water and come up out of the water. And the father knew what that meant, that Jesus is publicly taking the sins of his people upon himself. And the father shouts from heaven and he says, here he is. Here is the son I always wanted, the perfect son. This is my boy. This is my son. I'm incredibly pleased with him. But whatever Jesus does, he never does only for himself. Right? So, who was included in Jesus? And the Father spoke from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He's saying that to all those who are included in the pouch. Right? He's saying that to his church. He can say that to his church. Because they are in Christ. They are in the perfect Son. And so God looks at the church, the imperfect church, through the lens, as it were, of the perfect Son. And so, this afternoon, when Aliana and Lucy were baptized, heaven opened as it were. Imagine that. There the four of you were standing. The four of you, this, yeah, four of you were standing and two in the arms. And a baptism took place. Heaven opened as it were, and the voice of the Father was heard. You are my beloved daughter, Aliana. You are my beloved daughter, Lucy. Why? Because they were both in the pouch. When? Already 2,000 years ago. Now, officially. You belong to the body. Think corporately. Think body. If you look at this individualistically, you'll never get it. You have to think body. They're in the body. And because they're in the body, the Father said this to Aliana and to Lucy. But now, Calvin's unsettling quote. Jesus did this for them. What if it doesn't happen in them? How can you prevent this? Well, I said you have to become one with Jesus. And when it became, when I talked about being baptized into the name of the Son, I said you have to become one flesh with Jesus. And when I talked about being baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, I was going to say you have to be grafted into the Lord Jesus Christ like a vine, like a branch is grafted into the vine. But now when you're baptized into the name of the Father, you know what I'm going to say to illustrate the oneness between these two children and Jesus? I'm going to draw on Colossians 3, verse 3. Our lives are hidden together with Christ in God. That's it. Lucy and Aliana have the glorious privilege 
of living together with Jesus in the bosom of the Father through faith. And when that happens, what Jesus has done for them will happen in them. And in us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.